0: Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Juita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. We've got one more topic on deck. I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch here. A 61-year-old man has been arrested in the murder of two Toronto women from nearly four decades ago. Police used genetic testing from family members before serving a warrant to Joseph George Sutherland to get him. His DNA. We've previously spoken on this panel years and years ago about crime, cold cases, and genealogy, but Michelle, this story has you wanting to revisit the topic.
1: Why? I have to confess, I didn't remember that we discussed this on the panel some a long time ago. It was uh, like but...
0: in 2018 or 2019. It was a while ago.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. I don't remember that, but uh, I... <laughs> insight into my nerdy brain is that I'm happy to take on this issue any old time because I am a bit of a cold case and true crime nerd even though we're now oversaturated in that market. But anyway. (laughs) um, So I I find these particular matters of of great interest. These specific cold cases in Toronto were ones that I had also followed with particular interest. I had actually written about them before. Um, And then this new genealogy technology has really entered the picture and started to, to bring about some very dramatic resolution to some old cases. Um, We now have a person who stands accused of of two homicides and and police are openly talking about investigating further to see if he might be connected to any others. Um, This kind of technology was used to arrest an alleged serial killer in the United States who had gone undiscovered for decades, um, the Golden State Killer specifically Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking of there. That
0: that was the one that we talked about on the panel previously.
1: Okay, right. Oh, that that makes some sense then. Um, But that was a real first. And we've seen that kind of use of genealogy Uh, Investigative Genetic Genealogy is what the police call it, IgG, really taking off to the point where now the the justice system has been able to record a few convictions uh, based on that kind of evidence. So I thought this would be a good time to revisit this because it's such a complicated issue in terms of where you stand on this. Uh, With the kinds of track record that I've just outlined and the cases and the, the arrests that have been made. Mounting an argument in favor of using IGG is not that difficult. You've got some very, very persuasive results to fall back mm. on. For those who are opposed to it, though, the privacy concerns about people using things like Ancestry.com or um, any of the genealogy services that are available out there, uh, who are, right, you know, submitting their data in, in in the interest of finding more more about their family tree and then mm-hmm. potentially having it used for completely different purposes, that might even bring uh, some detrimental results to their own family members. That is a a privacy thicket. You can Mm -hmm. just imagine the kind of concerns. We don't have time to enumerate all the concerns that come out of that. But but suffice to say that IGG has very, very strong proponents and equally strong detractors. And in light of all this, I thought it might be fun to to dive back into this one for a little bit.
0: So I'm going to try to make a really broad definition here of IGG because I think we've cited examples without necessarily defining what it is. It's largely authorities scraping for data from these websites that is actually genetic data and trying to match it to crimes. It's, like, really Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff, but it also, like, makes you feel maybe just a teensy bit icky. That said, there's also a component of justice here? Mm-hmm. Like, do people deserve justice if their family members were murdered? I don't mean to laugh as I say that, but like, it seems so obvious that like it's preposterous. So you can see where the critics are, and you can see where the supporters are. Joita, where do you find yourself landing in this conversation? I
2: think it all depends on the application. So, of course, it's very hard to countenance a situation where an individual's privacy concern would be seen as greater, having greater societal value than resolving a cold case. But again, I mean, you could have other scenarios where um, you, you you know, these private companies hand over de- genetic data to insurance companies and they de- start in- denying insurance claims, saying you have a history of diabetes mm-hmm. or stroke mm-hmm. in your family. So it yep. all comes down to the application. And I think when we think about uh, police investigations and IgG in particular, there isn't enough, uh, we don't have enough um, judicial oversight yet in Canada. We don't have enough exactly. processes and procedures in place in Canada. And bearing in mind that our genetic information is probably the most personal information we can have, it does need to be something subject to, I think, a very high and rigorous amount of scrutiny in terms of our privacy. the question of consent comes up. So you might hand over your swab, but what does that mean for all the relatives who might get tracked yes, in the process? Yes. Exactly. And, and, you yeah. know, it's not just a privacy concern. It's also a civil liberties concern. Are we opening up the can and widening the scope of police surveillance? So, you, you know, does your aunt or uncle or grandparents now get um, trailed by the police or their neighbors get questioned because uh, some, there was some kind of a flag? So there are all of these really interesting questions to, to uncover. I think the problem is it's so new that I think people are in equal plots fascinated and excited by its possibilities and intimidated by uh, letting the genie out of the bottle, as it were.
0: The genealogy out of the bottle, as <laughs> it <if you> were. <laughs> uh, wow, wow. Yeah, move, move past and break things, right? This is this is big tech at its finest, and then the things you break turn into civil liberties, and it's fascinating because ultimately, when we come to police investigations, one of the core underpinnings of getting access to data or information or searches is probable cause. And if you're just scraping data from websites or from these services, then like what is the probable cause? What did you have to prove Mm -hmm. to get that data? And to me, that's the piece of regulatory framework that needs to come into place. You have to prove probable cause to start getting your hands on this data as a police force. But Michelle, when you think about the regulatory framework, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it's a complex one, and I I feel that this is one that desperately needs some attention paid to it. Um, The regulatory framework, I think, would have to be handled on a couple of ends. You'd need some regulation in terms of what uses the companies themselves can make of of the data. Joita raised some really uh, striking points about how it can be misused in insurance contexts, for instance. But I do think there also needs to be regulations put in place as to what other outside companies can have access to that and under what conditions. And I think this is where it comes back to what you're talking about, Dave, in terms of probable cause. I think the genie is out of the bottle in terms of having this available as an investigative tool for police. I don't think there's any way now that police are going to say, listen, yeah, you you know what, you're right. Yes, we, granted, we've solved all kinds of cold murders and we've caught a couple of serial killers, but yeah, you're right, we're going to abandon use of this tech. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there now needs to be a way for, to wrap
0: Oh, we may have just muted Michelle. Or Michelle may have just muted herself. Oh, no. No, no, no. Okay. Maybe, maybe. Well, we're. Hi. We, oh, there we you go. We got Michelle back. We got Michelle back. okay.
1: Uh, I was just going to say, I, I don't think that they're going to to cease using this technology in light of the successes that they've had. There does now need to do be a way to reconcile those and put some pretty clear guidelines in place in terms of probable cause. All of this, though, I feel the need to point out that we don't know a lot about how this investigation unfolded, what kind of probable cause may or may not have existed. They're not saying much beyond the fact that this technology was put into play. Um, this case actually offered a bit of a fascinating snapshot in terms of the evolution of DNA technology and how it it's been used. Uh, These were considered to be separate and and unassociated murders back in 1983. They were only linked in 2000. And now 22 years later, we have that resolution Mm. uh, after the DNA. This case actually offered a bit of a fascinating snapshot in terms of the evolution of DNA technology and how it's been used. Uh, These were considered to be separate and and unassociated murders back in 1983. They were only linked in 2000. And now 22 years later, we have that resolution Mm. uh, after the DNA. A name was found for the DNA match that was established 22 years before. So cases like this offer a fascinating litmus test, but also expose where there's work to be done.
0: We, I've got to hold you to 30 seconds each on this because media superstar Joita, Joita has to get to a different interview uh, for The Pulse. So, guys, 30 seconds or less. Would you ever consider swabbing your DNA to use these kinds of services? I would love to learn more about my family tree, but I don't think I want to give private corporations my DNA. Joita, what about you?
1: No way, Jose. Michelle? Hard no on this end.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm willing to give Spotify my data for the wrapped feature because I like to know what I was listening to this year. But, yeah, you can't have my DNA. If I can't donate sperm to a sperm bank, you can't have my DNA or either. (laughs) Uh, Michelle, I say goodbye to you here, but we'll talk to you on.